Hello, everybody, and welcome to Overtime Online. I guess Overtime's always online, so... Yes, it is always online, so, <laughs> so nothing really changes there. Another Overtime. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name's Christian, and we have Ben with us today. Um, hey, I'm Ben. <laughs> this is just our time to kind of catch up after the latest sermon that we had to kind of answer some of your questions and to dive a little deeper than we did on, uh, on the weekend. And so we're so right. glad that you're tuning in uh, wherever you are at. Before we jump in, we do have just a couple uh, kind of couple things that we want to mention. Um, so we mentioned this is last weekend. Um, as of now, the state uh, and kind of the federal government and our local government kind of instituted, instituted just kind of this uh, expectation that all businesses would be shut down until the end of April. And so with that, we will be continuing to host our church services online. And as usual, overtime is going to be online as well via Zoom, which is what we're doing now. And so uh, we can, you can kind of plan to expect that until the end of April, things will be as they are right now. So no events at the church, uh, all of our services are online. Um, and then over time, nothing will change except we're on Zoom. Uh, and then in addition, though, since we are online a lot more now, um, we started this hashtag recently. It's hashtag CLC anywhere. And we want to stay connected, and so this is one way that you can do that. When uh, you're watching church, when you're joining us online, when you're joining us for overtime even, uh, post a picture of you and your crew online and add the hashtag CLC anywhere. Um, that'll just enable us to see you uh, as you yeah. guys watch us, and it'll help us hopefully stay a bit more connected. So we invite you to Show do us that. how you're doing church or yeah. how you're doing overtime. We'd love to see it. Yeah. Rather than it just being one-sided, we're trying to get like two-way communication. So we'd love to see that. Yeah, hashtags make that happen. So hashtag CLC yeah anywhere uh in addition if you find that you have any questions in the season or anything that you might be needing uh feel free to reach out to the church you can email the church right, at info right. at clcfamily.church or you can call the church office actually all the phone calls are forwarded to staff members phone so um yeah. so yeah so we're doing our part to stay connected and we hope you'll um, feel free to and do i do so. if i can jump in like yeah. i do want to say if you've been following us the last two weeks really since as we've started to do overtime remotely um, we're still working out some issues. Like yeah. you know, I think I mentioned this in maybe the not last week, but the week before we don't have the same quality microphones. And then we've been having some integration issues with zoom. So yeah. just bear with us. We're thinking that this week we've got it solved, Fingers but we thought that the last two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and so just bear with us if there's technical difficulties, we're working it out. Yeah. We're confident. I, I, I think this is the week. Third time's a charm. I, I a, think this is it. Like yeah. if it doesn't work, then it's back to the drawing board, but yeah. I think that we've got it this time. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, we are so glad that you're here. Once again, this is Overtime, which is our time to kind of dive a little uh, more deeply into the sermon. Uh, and so with that, um, Ben got to preach this last weekend. We were on uh, yeah. week three of the Hope of Easter, which is a series all about the Hope of Easter. And so Ben right. took us through uh, week three. Do you want to kind of give a kind of brief sure. review of what the sermon was on? Yeah, so as Christian said, it was week three of the Hope of Easter, and through that, really what we're kind of hoping as we've gone through this series is that you can recognize and identify what Christ has done for us, like what the hope that we have through what Christ has done through on the cross. And even beyond that, just as we're looking at certain stories in the life of Jesus, where you can find hope in those stories, you can find hope in the passages of the Bible, 
um, and that you can find hope in this season where maybe hope's a little bit harder to find, right? Like this COVID-19 has really thrown off all of our schedules, um, kind of interfering with the normal way we've done things. Yet, I still believe that God in the midst of this has something in store for his church and for his people. So really, I think that the the title goes well with the season that we're in of trying to find hope. And then specifically for this week, we this is week three. This is uh, during the time that we're recording this. This is um, uh, it's the week of February or April fifth through. Um, yeah, let me get that right. I'm gonna pull yeah, up. I don't, the calendar. I don't even right. know a day. I feel like we're in this season. We just don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I just feel like days are weird. So yeah. it's the April fifth through the eleventh of this week. But that this week is Holy Week, right? So. Part of that is that Sunday when we were preaching the message, that was Palm Sunday. And then that kind of goes through the entire week of, of the last week of really Jesus's ministry on earth. And so most churches traditionally would do like a Palm Sunday service um, on that Sunday of Holy Week. Mm-hmm. We kind of did things a little bit out of out of order in the sense that we did Palm Sunday a few weeks ago so that we could focus on a few other different things. So as we celebrated Palm Sunday, basically what we looked at this week was um, kind of the, the last 12 hours of, of Jesus's life, we kind of changed gears from really that last week to the last day before Christ is actually handed over, arrested, and then ultimately crucified. So basically, we were looking at the night before Jesus was crucified. And there's this incredible model and example that Christ sets for his disciples. And so we're really diving into that. And honestly, if I'm talking about it now, it's a really simple model. Like there's nothing all that complicated about it. However, the impact of it, if we can actually begin to live it out is really profound, like so profound that I think it could change the entire world. If Christians actually started to live out the example of what Christ set for us as he did this, this loving act Um, kind of a lowly act with his disciples. And so we were specifically looking in John chapter 13. Um, It was when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This week, we also got to partake of communion, which might have been a little bit different because (laughs) that was hosted online as we watched the service. And then hopefully you were able to partake of that at at home. So I wonder if there's any fun stories that come from that. (laughs) Um, But then also as we started that, to, to kind of give a little bit of a setup of that, We also looked at Mark chapter 10, um, specifically verses 42 through 45. But that story that I'm kind of referring to, I did a lot of uh, explanation about it, just kind of setting it up and then looked at a couple verses. But that was, I think it was 31, 10, 31 or 32. Let me look at my notes. I was 32 through 45. So that's kind of where we were this past weekend, talking about primarily, again, Jesus's washing the disciples feet and yep. the impact that that had and, and really in that set an example for us so yeah. that's kind of the recap i think of the message yeah and if you guys want to check out that whole message i invite you to visit clcfamily.church media uh and under yep. the sermon videos you can actually watch that whole thing so if you haven't seen it yet you can pause this go watch that then come back to this later um just yeah you can even that's recorded and it's still on there so you can even take communion there's kind of the yeah. tail end of that is uh, we take communion together. I kind of walk you through those steps. Yeah. So feel free to do that. It was a cool experience uh, being able to do communion at home. So yeah, um, awesome. Well, yeah. So let's jump in. So this is a pretty profound story. Like you know, yeah. If if you're in the last few hours of your life, um, then yeah. and you know it's the last few hours of your life, then you will do things pretty intentionally. And who would be more intentional than Jesus, right? Um, yeah, right. And so we find him at this moment, uh, kind of with his disciples. 
Um, but can you explain, I guess this might be a good starting point unless you have another idea, but um, can you explain what was going on with the disciples? Because they've been journeying yeah. with Jesus for a while now. Uh, and we kind of get uh, an understanding through your sermon that there's some conflict and issues about status and right. power and authority. And that's where you kind of started because I feel like that's a, an important starting point. So can you explain yeah. a little bit about what's going on there? So pretty much the backdrop to this story, like I mentioned, it's found in Mark 10. Um, but really, it's not just Mark 10. Like as you read through the Gospels, you can see this on numerous occasions. I believe it's at least three different occasions um, that the disciples were in this place where they were, uh, I guess the terminology that I used um, over the weekend was they were jockeying for position. Like there's arguments amongst the disciples of who would be the greatest in Jesus's kingdom, right? Because as they're looking at Christ, he's here. They have this idea that he is the Messiah. Like yeah. he's the, the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And the difference is in that is that though they were waiting for this Messiah, their thought was that this Messiah would be this militant Messiah, that he would come and save them from their Roman, uh, you know, oppressors, yep. we'll say, and that they were going to come, this Messiah was going to come and reestablish the nation of Israel. And it, what's ironic is that Jesus ultimately does do that, but it's not in a way that any of them think. Totally he establishes a kingdom, but it's not an earthly kingdom. It's yeah. a kingdom that is established in heaven, and it's a kingdom that can never be conquered and never be defeated. Yeah. But the disciples who are walking with Jesus at this point for about three years, like this is the height of Jesus's ministry. Like, so he's done many of the miracles we see in the, the new Testament. Like he's turned water into wine. He's fed the 5,000. He's, uh, you know, made little mud pies and put it in due to eye. Like and now all of a sudden that person too. can see. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like he's done all of these incredible, miraculous miracles. The disciples have been there and not just, like healing people, but also showing that he is the God over the natural world as well by calming the wind and the waves. Like yeah. that was a pretty big moment for the disciples that they're wondering, who is this person? Who is Jesus that not only does he have like order and authority over the natural, like by the wind and the waves, but yeah. also then the supernatural because he's cast out demons and yeah. these healings that we've already mentioned. So, so kind of the setup to this is pretty insane because the disciples have seen a lot of different things. And uh, the way that I would speculate is that there's probably this like electricity in the air. As yeah. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, like maybe the disciples are thinking, this is it. Like things are changing it's like three down. years. There's a lot of popularity. Just weeks ago yeah. in the story of Jesus, Jesus had healed this dead man, Lazarus, and brought him back to life. So people are still talking about that. Yeah. And there's an excitement and electricity. And so when you get to Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And for the third time, he actually tells his disciples what will happen to him as he gets into Jerusalem, that he would be handed over to the Pharisees, that he would be be beaten, he would be mocked, and ultimately he would be crucified. And, and it's kind of crazy as you read through chapter Mark chapter 10, uh, 32 through 45, like Jesus tells this, but immediately following that, James and John, like, go to Jesus and they go, Jesus, hey, we have a request. And what I didn't say on Sunday is that when they go to Jesus in, in Mark 10, um, they say something along the lines of, hey, Jesus, we have a request and we want you to answer that. All right. Like you have to do what we ask. And if you're a parent and your child ever comes up to you and says, mm -hmm. hey, mom, dad, I'm going to ask you something and you have to do what I ask. 
how many of you would actually do what your child, like you would just blindly say, sure, that sounds great. Like I I can't help but wonder what Jesus was thinking in that moment as his disciples are like, Hey, we have a request and you've got to do what we ask you to do. Okay. It'll be great. (laughs) And basically the disciples ask Jesus, they want to sit, sit in positions of power and authority. They say they want to sit one to the right and one to the left hand. And that was, that was positions of authority. It was prominence in a kingdom. And so Jesus uh, or the, Uh, James and John ask this of Jesus, and Jesus goes, will you drink from the cup that I will drink of? Most likely referring to his suffering, and he mentions the baptism and the drinking of the cup. And the disciples are like, yes, we'll do that, because they truly want to follow Jesus, follow their heart. And Jesus goes, it's not for me to decide, but we will kind of see if you'll share in that suffering, which... Ultimately, we do know as we kind of fast forward into history, we do know that the disciples did suffer persecution. Um, Peter was the first crucified. I I believe he was the first disciple that was actually crucified um, and killed for his faith. And John, I mean, we know that he wrote the book of John while he was exiled to the island of Patmos. But even before that, there was there's stories of him possibly being boiled alive, like some crazy stuff that actually happened. But anyway, that's probably all for another time. Um, I, uh, to be completely honest, I didn't fully study the depth of that because that wasn't the direction that we were going, but there's this asking of Jesus for places of prominence and position. And then what happens is that the 10 other disciples, they get angry at James and John, not because they ask for positions of prominence and, and authority, like, well, why would you do that? But, it's because they wanted positions yeah. of prominence and authority. And that's what you see throughout several times in the gospel. I think it's at least three different times where the argue, the argument that the disciples have are, are saying, hey, who's going to be the greatest and who's yeah. this? And there's a time where Jesus actually, you know, brings a child and says, you know, whoever wants to be the greatest must be like a child in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, in one of the gospels, uh, I think it's in Matthew. So we looked at Mark, but in Matthew, it says that James and John were brothers. Their mother came to Jesus and asked. Mm-hmm. And and at first it looks like Mark and Matthew are kind of contrary to one another. So it's like, okay, who actually did? Was it, was it uh, their mother that asked or was it them? Well, what we know is that uh, through studying this, most likely it was it was James and John's question, but they might have had their mother ask that. Yeah. And Mark, who traditionally in his writing is a little bit more blunt and a little bit more bold, he just kind of cuts to the chase and kind of cuts Mary out of that or, yeah. or the mother out of that. But most likely this appeal probably came through the mother. But the heart of it was that James and John were asking for places of prominence yeah. and authority. So the backdrop is that there's bickering and there's fighting and there's arguments about who would be the greatest and who deserves maybe that position of prominence and authority. Yeah. So that's kind of the backdrop of John chapter 13, that the disciples are arguing and looking for, for a position of prominence and authority. So, um, and then you're kind of talking about how John 13 kind of responds to this uh, yeah. um, with not only, and Jesus did this all the time, there's a teaching, but then there's a there's an action with it too. So yeah. um, tell us a little bit about, before we kind of dive more deeply into kind of the nuances and the um, just the details of the story, how did Jesus respond to, um, to this reoccurring issue of these disciples uh, begging for power? And again, all of this within the last 12 hours of Jesus's life, or a lot of this, um, yeah. I mean, this instance right here within the last 12 hours. So um, how does Jesus respond to the kind of their... their yeah, issue? so it's interesting to even 
back up before they get into Jerusalem. So in Mark 10, Jesus's response is that, hey, whoever wants to be first needs to be last. Yeah. And, and he, he says profoundly here, he goes, you know, Jesus, in the same way that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus is explaining that he has come not to be served, but to serve others. Yeah. And then there's almost, uh, this is kind of my putting my words into it, but there's almost this this thought of Jesus going, okay, well, just watch what I want to, what I'm going to do. If you want to be great, if you want to do things incredible for the kingdom of heaven, then really watch what I'm about to do. And so that kind of sets up John chapter 13. And so you see John chapter 13 and the way that that kind of starts is that it was just before Passover um, and everybody's traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. And John one says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then continuing on, I think that the words are so powerful there. Um, two and three says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus' response is to say, hey, if you want to be great, then you need to serve others. And within the message, and I don't know how much we'll repeat here, so I want to kind of let you kind of shape the narrative of this by any questions that you might have. But but Jesus really says, hey, what what you really need to do is if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, he's showing and modeling what the kingdom of heaven is like, not like the kingdom of kingdoms of earth. Yeah. He's going, if you want to be great, then you must be a servant. And so Jesus literally takes the lowest position that one could take. Yeah. And he washes the disciples feet. And, and so there's a lot of things that I could talk about in that in a lot of different directions. And if you listen to the message, like I said, I, I feel like this message isn't very, it's not a very like complicated message. Yeah. Like, in essence, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Yet it's so profound. Yeah, and so absolutely. I tried to go into the history of why it was important for, uh, you know, foot washing in Jesus's time because yeah. they traveled by foot. And if they were cleansed, which they most likely would cleanse themselves with ceremonial like bath before this Passover meal, then they wouldn't have to reclean everything. But because they're traveling on dusty roads, their feet would get dirty. Yeah. And so that was customary for that to happen. However, Jews would not be the ones that would wash other Jews' feet. Like this was such a lowly task that if one Jewish male owned a Jewish servant, that they couldn't require that Jewish servant to actually wash people's feet. So this was a task that was reserved for those slaves that were actually not part of the Jewish culture and not Jewish, um, uh, not that weren't Jews basically. So, so it's pretty profound that Jesus, with a bunch of Jews, sets a different example for his believers, so his disciples. And I can imagine they were watching that unfold and just were shocked because they were expecting like kind of a military conquest, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. when Jesus is washing their feet, they're like, what is he doing, right? Um, yeah. And so um, I was even thinking as you're kind of talking about some of that, I can imagine that this was the first time in some of the disciples' lives where they felt like they had power and authority. That they had yeah, possibly. Um, that they that that they're jockeying for power, as you were saying, because they think this is it. We're going to be in power next because Jesus is going to bring us there. 
And so now they're planning ahead, like, I want to sit right next to Jesus when he's yeah, in power. Right. And so right. here they are in this room together um, about to kind of share in the, this Last Supper, right? And Jesus is washing their feet. Um, and they have power and authority. And Jesus is flipping that narrative, as you were kind of saying. Um, I want to ask this question. Um, I know I know one thing you said in your sermon was that, um, you know, when you, let me see if I, let me look at my notes. Um, so you talked about how, what, how do you respond or how do you lead when you're the, or I guess the question that you were asking was um, when you have the most power and authority in the room, right. like when you um, kind of have the most influence, how do you manage that or how do you handle that? I, I think I'm butchering your question the way that you said it. Um, yeah, you're, you're okay. Okay. Um, so what about those who might identify with the disciples pre, uh, pre-entry into Jerusalem, the disciples back in the day when they didn't feel like they had power, they didn't feel like they had influence in Rome and in Jerusalem. Yeah. So how, how so, would that narrative be for them? So even that, like as you're talking, like what's interesting is, and maybe this is even a, a deeper understanding, um, all of the disciples were in essence rejects. Right. Like, because yeah. what happened in Jewish culture was that when from the time that you were, I don't know, we'll say four or five, you would start to study the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. Yeah. And basically you would study that up through the age of about 12 years old. And then from 12, what would happen is that you would go to uh, this uh, go to a teacher, you would go to a rabbi, you would go to somebody and you would basically get tested. And if you tested well enough, basically you asked enough questions and you were memorized, you had memorized the entire book and you had understanding. Basically then if you were accepted, you then would start to follow that teacher. And so for every Jewish young person, every Jewish male, I should say, would go through this process. What we know is that Jesus had fishermen, he had farmers, he had tax collectors. So he had What's that? He had them all, like all the yeah. random people. He had all of the rejects that did not make it basically into Bible school. Yeah. So they failed to be able to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee, a teacher of religious law. So he has these rejects that when Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them to come to no longer be fishers of fish, but to be fishers of men. And so Here's these grown men who have already been rejected by the church, right? Been rejected by these these rabbis yeah. that now a different rabbi is coming. And he's he's gotten his students, his apprentices, his disciples in a completely different manner. So to your point, yeah, yeah. absolutely. They didn't feel like they had any position of prominence and authority. Yeah. But then to see Jesus in his ministry, now all of a sudden, as the popularity of Jesus grows, I'm assuming that their popularity grows as well because oh, yeah. if you can't be next to Jesus, yeah. well, then the next best thing is to be next to the one that's close to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And that would be the disciples. So yeah. so I think that that's even important to understand that, man, the disciples came from, we'll say that they came from nothing, right? Yeah. Like they, they weren't the elite. They weren't the ones that were followers of teachers. So Jesus comes and he gives them this authority and now they're excited for it. So uh, to kind of get that was just something I was thinking as you were talking about. So as we get into the kind of the, did the disciples feel powerless or what do we do if we feel like we don't have any power yeah. or position or authority? And the question is, is how do you leverage? Like, what do you do if you're the most powerful or the most influential or the most important person in the room? Yeah. What do you do with that? Yeah. And ultimately what we were driving towards is that, well, you need to leverage your power, your influence, your importance for the sake of others yeah. that don't have that. And so 
to your question of, of what do you do if you don't feel like you have any power or uh, prominence or importance. Yeah. And I think for me, the truth is, is that as you look at it, I think that all of us on some level are leaders. Yeah. Like I think on some level, every single person carries some influence in their lives. Like that may be a, a, a large bit of influence yeah. and, and leadership and power and authority, or it might not be. I think yeah. that the example that I look at is that if you're within a family, you have influence within your family. So how yeah. are you influencing your family? And, and specifically, like, obviously, it's when you think of that, the first example you think of is like parents. Yeah. Mom and dad clearly have influence on their children's lives. That's easy to see. But also, children have influence on siblings, right? Like, yeah. and that can go both ways. Obviously, the older students, older children have influence on the younger, but also the younger can have influence on the older as well. So I think that the reality is, is that we all have some level. Yeah. It may not feel like it's a ton. We all have some level of power and influence and authority and yeah. prominence in people's lives because I think that that's just the way that it is. Like I remember yeah. my time in youth ministry, and I don't know if this this has changed at all, but basically um, uh, the statistic was is that you typically have at least two people in any situation or environment or where you're at in life. There's typically at least two people that will look up to you on some level. Okay. And so I think that as you look at that, it's it, it's easy to kind of feel like you don't have influence. Yeah. But I think if you can really start to think through that and work through that, you might actually see that you do have a level of power of influence yeah. and and prominence in, in certain areas of life. That's good. Yeah, thanks for ask, uh, kind of answering that because I do think, um, uh, yeah, I, I think of sometimes uh, when I was a teenager or even some students or young people just don't see like, oh, I don't have influence. I don't have the ability to kind of uh, impact people in that way. I think it's a good reminder that actually you do, right? It just look, might look yeah. different. Um, now kind of going to the other side of that spectrum, um, um, you talked about how, again, the disciples are fighting for power. And sorry, I, I realize this is on page two of my notes and I skipped page one. Um, You're good. Uh, so we're talking about how the disciples kind of were, were jockeying for this power. What might that look like today? Because um, some people, I don't think people today are trying to like, oh, we're going to join some guys, going to take down like the government or, you know, uh, they're going to take down the world. Like we don't see that necessarily in that manner today. But what does it look like for people jockeying for status or power today? Um, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's a great question. And I think that it depends for each person. Like I, it sounds silly, but even something as far as, um, uh, so there's a couple different examples that I'm thinking of. Like I think bullying, like sometimes we want to be the cool kid, yeah. right? Like, so we can find authority, we can find power in, in being a bully. Yeah. Like for me, that's probably what it was as I was growing up. I wanted power and authority. And so believe it or not, your boy, Big Ben used to be a bully. Like, and then I got saved and Jesus saved me from that. So yeah. now I hate bullies. Although he, he bullies me, me guys, just, I'm just trying to let you know, I'm crying for help right now. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I, like, so in my mind, I'm thinking through, I guess, my personal experience of going, yeah. man, that's how it was for me. Like I wanted, I wanted respect. I wanted to be looked up to. I wanted that position of power. And it came from trying to force my will yeah. on other people. But, but I don't think that that's, I think that's personal, right? Like that's yeah. for me. But I think for some of us, maybe we try and have power and influence through social media, right? Yeah. Like maybe we just try and make it look like, our lives are perfect and they're on point and everybody loves us. And yeah. so we can try and find power through that. Um, even as something as far as a, a, something, and I'm 
I feel like I'm thinking through younger kids because I think yeah. as, as you get older, you should be able to identify and be able to recognize in the places that you're looking for power and authority. Oh, yeah. Like I, I think an easy example is if you're an employee or an employer, right? Like there's a certain level of respect that you might demand or you might think you ask for it, but really if, it, if it's not there, you're demanding of it. Yeah. And that's a position of power and authority. Um, and I think, I think that there's a lot of different ways. So I, I feel like those are the ones that come off the top of my mind. But I think if we actually sit and, and think through that, there's probably a lot of different ways that we feel like we have uh, or we're looking for power and authority yeah. and position. And I think the easiest place maybe for that to happen is within our own families. Yeah. I think that this, this model that Christ gives us to serve is so important yeah. because I think the place where, where it's the easiest to not serve is in our own homes, right? Like yeah. we just choose to not be servants in our own, own home because that's the hardest place to do it. Yeah. Because it's harder to, to try and pretend you're something that you're not at yeah. home when your children and your wife and, you know, your animals, they all see you for what you actually do, the, the things that you actually do while at home. So service at home is, I think, probably the most important. So I would even point to what does your home like look like and how do you serve those that you care for in your own family? Yeah, that's good. I don't know if that answers your question or not, yeah. but that's just kind of my thought. Yeah, I know that does because I think it's important whenever, you know, as we, as you know, like when we go through this stuff, we want to identify um, what is it in my life that I'm I'm jockeying for power and how is it that I um, be cautious but to simply use whatever power I do have for the glory of God, right? right um, so right. That's, that's, that's good. Thanks for that. Um, kind of moving on through the passage. So we got this moment now. They're, they're together, uh, and Jesus is flipping their understanding on its head. They're pursuing power, yeah. but Jesus is like, you want to be great in the kingdom, become like a child, which as you know, and as you guys you know, probably maybe know, um, being a child in, in um, that time, you weren't really uh, of great importance. Um, right. And so, um, and so there's kind of this almost paradigm shift in their understanding of what leadership is for them. Uh, Jesus is creating a whole new paradigm in this moment. Even though he's been doing it his whole ministry, he's doing it once again in this moment. And you talked about how he even kind of declares his own identity, how he's the son of God. Um, why is that important in this context of this uh, this passage? And I can't remember uh, exactly. Which passage? Like you're talking um, about John 13 or you're not one, talking about the Mark, right? I think it was the one part where he said, I'm the teacher. He was talking about the, yeah, the okay. teacher so example right okay. there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in that, what he's basically saying is that you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. Yeah. Because that is what I am. Like he's... He, He's explaining like, hey, your thoughts of me are correct because yeah. I am the teacher. I am the rabbi. And I would even take that a step further. Like if yeah. they've actually seen what Jesus has done, if anybody had the right to this entitlement of position, power and authority, it's yeah. the guy that just spent three years healing the sick and healing the lame yeah. and calming the water and like doing this, the natural and supernatural, yeah. like controlling that. Like, yeah. He was the ultimate teacher, the ultimate authority. How many guys do you know that could actually raise somebody from the dead? I don't know many, personally. <laughs> right, yeah. Like so, so in that, like, he's telling his disciples, rightly so, like, I, I am, I do have those positions of authority. Yeah. However, if this is how I respond, so too should you respond. And I think that 
the reality is that the disciples just had not gotten it to this point. Like yeah. they just didn't understand. And I think that I would say, and I even mentioned this and I wasn't planning on saying it on over the weekend is that, you know, I wonder if this was like hidden from the disciples because yeah. we can see Jesus talking about it in several different places. Like the fact that he's going to die, he's going to be crucified and yeah. handed over. And then after that, he's also like talking about, what it looks like in the kingdom to, if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant. Like yeah. he's talking about all these concepts that it's just kind of like, how did they miss it? Like he's yeah. talking plainly to them. However, I think that it was my guess here is that they were so encased in what they thought that he would yeah. look like and what he would do would look like this, that it was hard for them to break out of that thought process. Yeah. And, I, and I guess I think that in part because Many times, if I have an idea of what I think God is going to do and how he's going to do it, then that's the only thing that I'm thinking about. Like sure. That's what I'm hyper-focused on. Sure. However, Jesus came to do something different. Yeah. And what's so amazing, and I, I said this towards the end, is that the disciples did eventually get it. Yeah. Like, we are here today because the disciples did leverage their power, their position, their authority. Like, yeah. as the church kind of came onto the scene after Christ's resurrection and after Pentecost, like, they got it. Yeah. They understood what Jesus was teaching, and yeah. then they modeled what Jesus was teaching. Yeah. Was it a perfect model? Nah, probably not, but yeah. they understood. And then it's it's kind of our turn in that. So yeah. Jesus passed this on to the disciples, who passed it on to disciples, who passed it on to disciples and disciples and disciples, and then to us. And we need to continue to model this and to pass it on to the disciples that follow after us. Yeah. And I loved what uh, you kind of spoke a bit about that during the sermon, too, when you said there's um, uh, there's an important element here that the disciples do what Jesus has done. Not that they talk right. about it or familiarize right. themselves with it, but that they respond um, with right. action because that's what God, that's what Jesus does in this moment, right? Um, right. And so talk a little bit about, I love the, the kind of metaphor that you use. I mean, in this, yeah, in this story, it's very realistic uh, of Jesus choosing the towel over the title. Uh, yeah. And then... Um, yeah, I guess speak a little bit more to that, if you don't mind, and then how it is that the disciples should respond in this moment, right? Yeah, so if for full disclosure, I feel like that was something. Um, I grew up in church. My dad was a, a, like one of the elders and helped with you know church growing up. and the, So I actually stole that from him. So if he ever is around, you ever meet him, and he's like, hey, that was my time. Like, <laughs> but it, it just makes a really good point, yeah. like, and then like, as you're thinking about it, like when you're in a room full of people, what do you choose to live for? Because I think the, the normal natural response for most, most people is that we want to look important. We want to yeah. feel important. We want to kind of make people respect us just by, Ooh, there's that person, right? Yeah. Like, but that's not what Christ did. Christ literally said, okay, well, I am the most important person, yeah. like recognizing that all authority had been given to him. Yeah. And he chose to be the lowest person in the room. And so, so choosing the title over the towel is, is, and then it also kind of goes to, um, uh, I think it was verse four where Jesus takes off his outer garments. Well, if he's wearing the, the clothing of what rabbis would wear, that was literally the symbol of his authority. Like okay. he would be identified by this garb that a rabbi would wear. Okay. So by him taking off his outer garment that it, again, if it's the rabbi 
you know, attire that is literally taking off his symbol of importance yeah. and okay. prominence and that. putting on really the identity of a slave by yeah. putting a towel around his waist. So he's, he's laying aside that which would set him apart as the title and the position of rabbi and taking on the position of a servant. So okay. choosing the title or the towel, like what do you choose to do in that moment is just simply that a question of, well, do you go for the position of power and authority or do you choose to be lowly and you choose yeah. to be a servant? So, um, again, I'm not sure if that quite answers your question. Okay. Uh, you said speak to that, but I'm not sure if that's what you meant. Well, yeah, what was your, I, was... I like the I like the image and the metaphor of that, um, yeah. of choosing the towel. And it's an alliteration. You know me very well and you know that I love alliteration. So it's memorable, right? Um, right. But just the significance, I mean, you spoke to the significance of Jesus doing that with taking off right. uh, his outer. I didn't I actually didn't know that, that the outer garment was considered or kind of a reflection of what rabbis well, wore. If it, and that's what I'm not sure, to be honest, in my study. I'm not sure if he did wear the, like, if he wore the garb of a rabbi. I don't know. There's a side yeah. of me that says, well, it was Jesus. I don't know if he ever cared about it. But then the other side of it, too, is that maybe he did. Like, yeah, I mean. I mean he was a teacher. He yeah. was a rabbi. He had disciples. So. I was say in that passage, he's called teacher and Lord. Uh, yeah. And so I think it goes well with the theme that John's writing about in that moment right. of Jesus right. being a teacher. So I thought that was really good. Um, yeah. Let me see. So you said, um, let me see real quick. So um, I think we got like 20 minutes left. So I just want to make sure we're getting everything that you'd like yeah. to kind of cover too. Um, but one thing I wanted, uh, wanted to make sure that we did talk about is um, I think the most important fact is not I mean, of course, it is what Jesus is doing, but you have to consider who is there and who he's washing. And so he knows he's about to come to the end of his life, and yeah. he knows Judas is there, and he knows what Judas is about to do, and yet he he washes Judas' yeah. feet. And I think if Jesus were here today doing anything like that, I'm sure most of the church wouldn't like that, or at least most <laughs> people in the world today would look at Jesus and be like, why the heck? Are you washing yeah. Judas's feet? Do you know what he's about to right. do? And so can you speak more to this? I don't know if there's a question in there, but um, yeah, what's no, so significant I, about this I, moment? I, I'm glad that you actually bring that up because that's I feel like that was an area, like even in my notes, I put ideas of time allows. Like, yeah. And I just <laughs> didn't have a ton of time to yeah. talk through that. But that, I think that's what humbles me so much about this passage. Like there's so much that humbles me already because – I think the reality is, is that I still get this wrong, that I choose the position of power and the title rather than the towel many times. And I think that that's something that I just think in human nature, that's something that I'll continue to struggle with yep. in a place of leadership within the church. I have to constantly be reminded and remind myself of that. And so as, as you're looking at this, like that is, that is probably the other biggest thing that stands out to me is that Jesus actually washed Judas's feet. Like, and I, I even kind of tried to tease that out a little bit in the message. Like, it says that all authority had been given to Jesus and he knew all things. Like, so what would you do if you're the most powerful person in the room and you knew that there was a group of people down the street that were plotting to murder you? Yeah. Like, all authority had been given to you. Like, all authority, like all, every bit of it. <laughs> and what, what would you do is if, if you knew that within your inner circle of people, there was one that would betray you. Like, what would you do with that? Yeah. And it just, for me, it baffles and amazes me that what would Jesus do with that? Is he washed Judas's feet? Yeah. Gosh. He didn't, he didn't exclude him and go, well, Judas, why don't you leave? Like, and even 
the part that I couldn't really talk about was this, what was referred to as this morsel, this food yeah. morsel. Um, so we looked at John 13 verses 1 through 17. Um, really, all of John 13 is so amazing. And as you continue down, um, Jesus even talks about a new commandment where he kind of changes things like what has been known is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Jesus brings it to a whole new level and he says, you should love as I have loved you, yeah. which in light of John 13 and yeah. washing feet, it's like, Darn it, now we gotta wash I don't know feet. I can ever get there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's crazy. But in, yeah. in 26, I want to read it because I didn't have yeah. time there. In John 13, 26, you can easily pass over it. It doesn't look like anything, but in, in my study in several commentaries, Kind of mentioned this it says this uh well let me read the verse and then i'll say what that commentary says it says uh, in john 13 26 26 it says jesus answered and basically what's happening is that simon peter and john are like jesus tells his disciples that one of you will betray me yeah. and so simon peter and john john's next to jesus and it's presumed that jesus uh, judas is then also on the other side of jesus yeah. And so Simon Peter, who must be like across the way or somewhere around the table, kind of says to, to John, like, ask him who's going to betray. And so John asks him, who's, who's it that's going to betray? And Jesus yeah. says, it'll be the person that dips his hand with me. And there's different accounts from yeah. different gospels. Um, and, and this is where it says, Jesus said in 26, John 13, 26, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Mm. And, and at first glance, it just looks like, okay, so Jesus dipped a piece of bread into this, this pot, and then he gave it to Judas. Yeah. Um, in Matthew, it looks like Judas's hand is supposedly in there. But what they're referring to is this food morsel, which the manners and customs of Bible time said this. It said the most honored guest was given a token meal by the host. It was a piece of bread. Uh, or a piece of bread was dipped into the food and was used as a spoon. And in parentheses, it says they ate with their hands except for soup, eggs, or shellfish, in which case they used spoons. Mm -hmm. There were no forks. The bread spoon and its content were then put into the mouth of the favored guest, and it would show honor and favor in that. This was known as the morsel, and it was given by Jesus to Judas during the Last Supper, providing a final loving appeal to him. Yeah. And I just think yeah. that as I think through this story that Jesus chose to wash the disciples' feet, but then he also chose to give this food morsel. And it, and it was a position, normally a position of honor and favor. That just baffles me that the Lord would actually choose to do that. And many of the commentaries say that it was a loving final appeal, like what yeah. we just read, is that it was kind of like, hey, are you actually going to do this? Because immediately after this is when Jesus tells Judas, go do the thing, thing that you have planned, or uh, that's paraphrasing, but yeah. it's go do that. And even John gives us commentary as you're reading through John 13. It's like most of the disciples think that he's going to pay for the food or pay for the room. So they don't think anything of it, which again is weird so because funny. it's like Jesus just said that somebody was going to betray him. The disciples are asking one another, who is it? Who is it? And then Jesus tells this one, hey, go do what you're about to do. And John, Judas leaves and they're like, oh. Clearly not him. Yeah, I'm just blinded by it. So Man. I just think that 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 story is so amazing to me that Jesus showed love and care yeah. and concern even to his enemy. Yeah, and that that's I don't think I could wash Judas's feet if I was Jesus. Yeah. Like I don't think I would give him a food morsel 
if I was Jesus. And I just, it's, I'm amazed by the example yeah. that he gives in that. It's interesting. You gotta be, you gotta be thinking that the disciples, they all probably have an enemy in their mind when this is happening yeah. or, and I know they're not always in line or in, uh, catching what Jesus is throwing. Right. right. Um, but you have to think like they think Jesus is here to conquer the enemy Rome, but then here right. he is serving his enemy Judas uh, and setting an example for how they should treat their enemies. Uh, right. You could call it Rome, you could call it governing authorities, what have you and stuff. But that's a pretty profound, profound yeah. moment. Um, Jesus is not wasting any minute of his last 12 hours no, here. not at all. Like, it just, <laughs> I, I just imagine, I could, can't imagine what it would have been like to be there. Like, yeah. And I think that we have hindsight, right? Like, we are able to look back at this, and I think that as John's writing his gospel, it's presumed that it's maybe about 50, 60, maybe even longer than that years. John was the beloved disciple and he's, you know, years and years after he writes the gospel. And what's probably pretty amazing is that in the moment he probably missed just like the other disciples, what Jesus was doing. But now with years of reflection and years of seeing the church grow and seeing, seeing and feeling the Holy spirit moving and working in his life, like, now he's looking back with hindsight and 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 actually able to understand all yeah. that God, uh, all that Jesus w- was doing and what he had done. It's pretty pretty amazing because as you read through these last, you know, these three three chapters, 13, 14, 15, uh, like it's pretty uh, astonishing the yeah. like these teachings um, and all that the Jesus is explaining to his disciples. Gosh. Um. Thanks for that. Uh, so well, let me see. We got about ten minutes. I want to kind of. Um, I know it's very pragmatic. So here, the whole purpose of this teaching is Jesus is telling his followers to go and do likewise. I actually right, thought it was right. interesting. I don't know. I can't remember which great commission it is. I don't know if it's John's or or Matthew or whatnot. But we see where uh, Jesus is giving all authority in heaven to his right. followers to go and do likewise, to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, which I think ironically or maybe theologically reflects this moment here when Jesus is saying all authority in heaven has been given to me. Right. What does Jesus do with that? He gives that to us. And so um, and so with that, we have a responsibility, maybe a call to action, something that we should do in yeah. response. Let's kind of dive in. I know you gave the church-specific examples um, this last weekend on how we, uh, like Jesus, can serve in this way, how we can use our yeah. influence, our platform, anything that we have for the glory of the kingdom, um, right, to to serve others, to serve the least of these. And so let's kind of talk about some ideas. We can, maybe if you want yeah. to remind everyone what uh, the options were this past weekend, and then maybe if you'd like to add anything else, and then we can kind of go with some closing thoughts if you have any. Yeah, so I, and I talked about this in the message, so if you've heard the message and this is a repeat, sorry, um, but I, I just, this changed so much for me because COVID-19, it, it, it literally changed everything for everyone. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just a, a new era that we're living in. And, uh, and for me as the outreach pastor, like that's my title, that's my job. I'm going, well, what does outreach look like without community? Like, I don't know almost how to do one without the other. And so, um, the, the a- application of this message changed from kind of a big call to like get involved and to do things to now, now I want to call and challenge the church to do things, yeah. but it's without the, kind of the underwriting of the church. Now it's all about you taking up the gauntlet and you being the one that goes, I'm going to reach out to my neighbors. I'm going to be the one that, that sends an encouraging note. So I think that the reality is is that what you can do in this time during COVID-19 is really 
really up to you. Yeah. Like you probably know your scenario, you know the situation that's happening in your neighborhood, in your household, yeah. in your community, probably better than anyone. And so there was two specific ways that I, I challenged and even kind of spontaneously as I was preaching, I added a third one. The two specific ways that I was calling our church to action was one to just drop an encouraging note. And that was to uh, Generous Pond and Ware Presbyterian. Um, there are two senior housing communities that are around us. Um, there's a specific address that we have for both of them that it actually goes to the director and then to the directors, they can dis- dis- you know decide who gets what or if that's hope placed somewhere. Um, but we actually reached out to them saying, Hey, what can we do for you? And their answer was basically stay away. Yeah. <laughs> like, Got it. Yeah. We, we don't want to do anything I knew that. Um, because that obviously yeah. is an older demographic is yeah. a little bit more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's they're more Born prone over. to be able to catch the virus. So, yeah. so that's not something where we want to just show up and a bunch of people are going to show up and, <laughs> you know, potentially spread Corona-19 to them or uh, the COVID-19 to them. So the call to action was let's write a note to our senior communities. And then also wanted to think about our, our nurses, our hospital workers, and even beyond that, like it, it goes to all essential workers, but specifically we were looking at Jennersville hospital. So in our show notes, even like today, it should be down here. I'm going to point down. It should be somewhere over there in the description of (laughs) overtime you'll find a link that has actually a graph to, if you want to send an encouraging note, you know, if you want to get your kids involved and they want to draw a picture and send it along with, send it to any one of these, these three addresses. And that's again, the two uh, senior saint communities or senior citizen communities and then hospital, the hospital, it's not just doctors and nurses, it's x-ray technicians, it's janitors, it's um, you know, it's people that help out. It's, any type of position or role that's actually at the hospital, you can sign into. And then, and then the other thing that I had, so that was kind of the big call to action of going, drop a note, drop, drop picture, send it to one of these three addresses that you can find in the description notes. And then the other one was, and I can't take credit for this. This was actually a resource, a couple different resources that I found online and that I just kind of combined into one document is that I also kind of compiled a document of 20 ways that you can actually do things right now mm-hmm. to impact people around you during this COVID-19 situation. And they were things like neighbor, uh, emailing your neighborhood housing association to see if there's something there that you could give. Um, that if you have extra financial margin, I know that for many of us, that is changing and that's even scary. Like every day, it seems like the, the amount of unemployment in America is growing and growing because of COVID-19. So this may not apply to everybody, but if you have extra margin and you're able to give to some of the organizations then to do that, yeah. um, if you can call or text your neighbors and see if there's anything there for them. And uh, I would even add to that, maybe even if you don't have their, their number, maybe just knock on their door. I would yeah. stand at a distance, like <laughs> ring the doorbell back up like six to six 10 to feet, 10 just feet, so yeah. it's not like on top of them yeah. and just see if there's anything that you can do for them. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that we as believers, we as the church can be the church now in this season. It just looks different than than the church being the one that organizes that, yeah. puts it together yeah. and does this big drive, which the reality is, is that's what I feel like my job has been is that I'm putting together something, but now that becomes more like the early church and it's up yeah. to each believer yeah. to go out and to be neighborly, to love 
their neighbors, to love one another, and and to really be the church. Yeah. So that was kind of the big application. Um, and I feel like, honestly, that document that has 20 different things, I tried to write down as much as I could yeah. um, of all of the different things that I thought in there. So I don't feel like outside of that document, I've got a ton of other thoughts. Yeah. Um, but right. I think it's just being neighborly, if you can, and but also being smart. So if you feel like you're sick, you need to stay at home. Like, yeah. You shouldn't be coughing all over cards and then sending it in if you feel like you've got COVID-19. Don't do, Don't that. do that. We're like, not saying that, guys. <laughs> so so use wisdom and discernment yeah. in that, but but don't let this be an excuse to just sit at home and do nothing. Yeah. Use this time to be the church because I think God is clearly on the move. Yeah. And this is this is a lot similar to what the early church looked like where yeah. people were meeting in homes. And it's a little bit different because you're probably only meeting with your family mm-hmm. in your home, but this is God has given us resources and abilities and paper and pencil and things that we can actually do things with. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that probably took up all 10 minutes, but um, That's all good. It, is that, did you have any applications that you were thinking or anything uh, that I missed in that? Honestly, I was just trying to think of too, like, so, and you might be able to add to this. We will eventually live in a world where COVID-19 is a thing of the past. Uh, maybe right. not a hundred percent, but for the most part, things will open back up. People will be right. back outside. Um, if you could uh, create an application point to that world that we will eventually um, eventually be experiencing, uh, do you have any ideas that you might add? And I'm throwing you on the spot. I didn't mention this one or I, I just thought of yeah. this. Yeah, so I feel like my goal is that, and, I, and I'm a doer, like I find excitement in, in okay, what are, where are we driving to? Yeah. What is God doing? Like, yeah. So I feel like in that time, uh, hopefully I'll have a great idea and be like, hey, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. But I think that, I guess what I'm thinking, and I don't even know if this answers your question, but I think that this should never change. Like the ways that we reach out right now, it doesn't matter if COVID-19 is here or not. Like we should still be able to be neighborly. Like what I would hope is that this almost sets the groundwork for years to come. Like you can reach out to your neighbors now. And even when we don't have a pandemic, that you can still be neighborly and show love and care and concern. And you can be doing things for your community and your, your HOA and, and be a yeah. part of, of the church in that way. Because the reality is, is that I think that as the church has grown and as it's become kind of this institution, if you will, and I don't mean that in a negative way, yeah. I think there's been a lot of responsibility that has shifted to people like me that they say, hey, you're the outreach pastor, so you should be doing that. Yeah. No, the reality is if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should be doing this. Yeah, that's good. We want to do things that help create on-ramps and roadmaps yeah. for you to get involved if you're not sure how to do that. But what I don't want is that, that, that I don't want to be the crutch to somebody yeah. that they don't know how to be the church if the yeah. church isn't organizing it. So yeah, I guess that's, I don't think that that's necessarily what you're driving towards Christian, or maybe that is what you're driving towards. But I think that for me, as I look at this, I'm going, man, this is, this is not just for the season. Yeah. I want you to be neighborly and show love and care and concern year round. Yeah. It doesn't matter if COVID-19 is here or not. Yeah. Be the church wherever you are. Even the neighbors you don't like, because uh, that's what Jesus yeah. does too, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all I have. Um, yeah, I guess to reiterate, so we do thank you guys so much for joining us. Once again, if you want to check out that sermon, it's at clcfamily.church slash media. Um, we are right there with you and that we're trying to just continue to figure life out. I think I'm finding yeah. some sort of rhythm right now. Um, 
But we do believe that God is kind of working in and behind the scenes. And so we invite you to kind of slow down and, and take mind of that and figure out, hey, where is God working in this, right? Um, and I want to remind you as you kind of journey with us, uh, you know, on overtime with our sermons, podcasts, Wednesday night devotionals, which I forgot to mention that we do have a Wednesday night devotional That's every right. week. Uh, it's our, it's cow, it's cow on or connect online Wednesday. We'll have a devotional going out tomorrow at 630. And I think tomorrow actually is the yep. stations of the cross virtual. It's not tomorrow, right. the day after tomorrow. I'm sorry. Well, tomorrow, actually it is tomorrow. Um, so, uh, tomorrow it's the Stations of the Cross. Sorry, I told you I'm losing track of my days here. Um, join us at 6.30 for Stations of the Cross online. And as you're watching it, take a picture of you and your crew and just in the ways, the different ways that you're celebrating Holy Week and yeah. Easter and post online with the hashtag CLC anywhere. Cause we want to see you guys. It's been so long. Um, we'd love to see your smiling faces. So, uh, make sure you do that. But I think that's all I got. You have anything, Ben? Yeah, I'm just going to say thanks for joining us, guys. If you do have any questions, feel free to reach out to the church. Yeah. Um, it's, this is a weird, unprecedented time that we're trying to figure it out as we can. So yep. can't guarantee that we can jump in and help, but we're going to do our very best yes, we can. To, yep. to answer any questions, to do anything that we can. So um, we want to be a hub. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, trying to figure out how we can be wise um, yeah. in that and be prudent in that and follow, you know, the government's recommendations, but yeah. please, please, please let us know if you need anything. So yeah. thanks for joining us and yeah, have yeah. a great one. We will see you next week. Take care. All right. Bye.